five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. On this week's episode of the Space Economy Podcast, my guests are Lilac Muller, VP Product Management, and John Moran, VP Marketing of Chimeta. If you're not familiar with Chimeta, the company uses the catchphrase comms on the move to describe itself. The company provides mobility connectivity solutions through their metamaterial technology terminals connected to satellites and cellular networks. Today, we'll be talking about the innovations the company has made, the comm services they are now bundling with their terminals, and what adding low-Earth constellations will mean for everyone wanting comms on the move. Supporting this interview is Circo Canada. With 40 years' experience in the space sector, Circo offers a full range of operational and engineering services. Through long-standing partnerships like the one Circo enjoys with the European Space Agency, Circo contributes to programs like Copernicus and Onda, supporting open data and user experience. With best-in-class capabilities in Earth observation, Circo offers a wide range of space and ground support, from data capture to data handling to data exploitation. For more information on Circo's space capabilities, visit circo.com backslash na backslash Canada. Okay, on to the interview. Welcome to the Space Economy Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Nice to be here. With respect to the Chimeta antenna, which is the core of your part of the core of your uh, technology, I had a source from uh, the defense sector that told me the antennas were magical. So, what makes them magical? And can you give us a, a, a brief intro, introduction into the technology? Certainly. John, did you want to? Yeah, sure. Why don't I give you a brief introduction into Chimeta first, and then I'll sure. turn it over to Lilac to talk about how magical the technology is. Um, so as you may or may not know, and I know, Mark, you said you've been following us for a while, but your listeners may not know that um, Chimeta primarily focuses on comms on the move solutions, uh, specifically for uh, military, government, commercial, and public safety workers. Not necessarily in that order, but that's the bulk of it. Um, we're a global company with more than 100 partners around the world, so we don't sell direct to everybody. We have some great partners that help us do that around the world, and it's really important in different parts of the world. Um, we were established in 2012, so it's not like we just got started a couple months ago or a couple of years ago. We've been working on this for a while and actually came out with our first product a few years ago called the Chimeta U7, which really allowed us not only as a first mover in the marketplace, um, and really to have a competitive differentiation in the marketplace, but really to learn a lot, really to learn about what works, what doesn't, what do our customers really need? What are they asking for? What don't they know to ask for yet? And that was really a big aha moment for us. The comms on the move solution was really not something that a lot of companies had thought about before. It was a lot of comms on the pause, or it was a parabolic dish, or it was a phased array antenna but it wasn't a lightweight, packable, movable, mount-it-and-go kind of solution that you could put virtually anywhere. That's where Chimeta's sweet spot really is. Um, when we introduced the first product, the U7, in late seven, 2017, we've had hundreds of installations around the world with that U7, 
which allowed us to really lay the groundwork for, as your source told you, the magical technology that we now call the U8. So that launched in November, um, commercially launched in November. And prior to that, we did a beta test with quite a few customers to make sure we were on the right track. With that, let me turn it over to Lilac to tell you all about how that works. Yeah, we're going to talk about the U8 in a little bit. Yeah. So the 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 Kameda magic, as you call it, has two parts. The first part is due to the technology that we use to drive the, ele- the electronic beam steering capabilities of the antenna. That's the uh, metamaterials-based holographic beam forming that is based on, frankly, LCD production display technology. So we take uh, the mature technology of the TV, we add magic to it to create a metamaterial uh, and and use holographic beam forming to create the beam steering. That's half the magic. The other half of that magic is how we package it in a very robust, very, um, very agile product that meets the needs of uh, uh, mobile on-the-move customers. There's a lot of engineering that goes into making that very robust, very user-friendly, designed for vehicles from the ground up. So, uh, you know, John mentioned phased arrays. One of the key advantages of our technology and the magic of that technology is very low power consumption. So if you think about your car, you have many accessories in your car and they all draw on power. If you were to put a phased array antenna on top of your car, it's going to take so much watt out of it that it would drain your battery. It would tax your system. Not our technology. Our technology takes less than 150 watts of power. You you can plumb it right into your car. It's native DC. You can connect it right into your battery. We got built-in rail system. It's designed to be mounted on vehicles. And it has a Wi-Fi bubble and, frankly, a cellular uh, system in there so that you can switch between cellular and satellite as you go in and out of uh, various coverage. So we really thought about how do we give the the, the user just connectivity? Because that's what they want. They actually don't care about the GWIS technology. They just want to be connected to the internet. Yes, that's for sure. Um, now, I'm going to skip ahead to uh, over one of my questions because you sort of answered part of what I was already looking for. Um, late last year, when you announced the Kaimeta 8U antenna and the Kaimeta Connect, uh, and that they were both going to be avail- available to, to, to government and, and commercial customers, can you give a little bit of background on the Kaimeta Connect and if any additional information on, let's say, the, di- the difference between the Kaimeta U8 and the U7? What innovations were made? Sure, go ahead, Lila. Um, so let, let me start. There's, there's two separate questions uh, that you asked. The first one, what is the difference between the U7 and the U8? And then what does Chimeta Connect mean and what does it bring to the table? So let me, let me start with the U7 and the U8. U7 was our first generation technology. It was a regional solution that covered part of the KU band. Um, and when we put it out in the market, we got customer feedback on, uh, on various challenges from a usability perspective. So for example, in extremely hot environments, 
um, we had some performance degradation that we didn't like as much. Uh, the way that the system was integrated wasn't so convenient for car integration. What we did is we took that user feedback along with technology technological innovations and put that into the U8. So let me be specific. Our antenna interleaves elements for both receive and transmit. It's one aperture that includes both. That's for the U7. For the U8, what we've done, we actually have three apertures overlaid on top of each other. We have RX receive low, receive high, and transmit all in the same aperture. That allows us to cover the full KU, KU band, all two gigahertz of the, of the receive band and 750 megahertz of the transmit band. That's the type of innovations that we've introduced going from the U7 from U8, plus all the usability, uh, increased environmental robustness. We yeah. cannot operate to very high temperatures and, and various other uh, car integration capabilities. And the Chimeta Connect, the second part? Yeah. Uh, John, did you want to take Chimeta Connect? or should sure. I continue? Yeah, we can do it together. So, um, the, I mean, the first thing to think about when you're talking about uh, a terminal or an antenna or any other satellite service is part of the largest part of the problem was, okay, I have the hardware. Now what? What do I do now? Where do I get my service from? Do I get cellular service? Do I get satellite service? Who do I go to? How much does it cost? How long is it going to take? How long is it good for? All the same kinds of questions that you would ask if you were, in essence, brand new to wireless. Think about if you went into a wireless store and they sold you a handset and said, okay, now go figure out how you want to connect. It would be a nightmare for people. And I'm not just talking about consumers. I'm talking about just customers in general. Right? So we addressed that problem in thinking about what is it that our customers really need? Remember, I talked in the beginning about that aha moment. Well, part of that aha moment is how do our customers get connected? The beauty of the U8, the thing that we've done really, really well with the hardware is, as Lilac pointed out, we've made it super easy for basically for it to be plug and play, right? You put it on top of your vehicle, you plug it in, however you're going to plug it in, or you put it in a transportable mode and you turn it on and it just works. Well, imagine if now you turned it on and you had to figure out how you were going to get your service and where that was going to come from. So that makes it not plug and play. So what we did is we combined the cellular and satellite service into Chimeta Connect along with um, literally service like customer service and put it all together in a package where you can buy your cellular, your satellite service for as little as, and the hardware all together in one package for as little as $9.99 a month, literally making it as simple as buying a wireless plan if you walked into a mobile phone store. Now, what about remote, remote locations? How, uh, how much global coverage do you actually have with this? For instance, I, I've been on uh, three expeditions to the high Arctic, 75 degrees north, and it's been difficult. To, uh, this was uh, 10 years ago was the last time I went, but it was very difficult to, to, to get any type of connectivity. So it, will this work in, in, in that kind of remote environment for all these different types of research and uh, you know research endeavors? or whether it's uh, oil and gas companies, that kind of thing? Uh, it will within the constraints of geosatellites, right? So uh, geosatellites, as you know, are mostly equatorial. And so the antenna will need to, generally speaking, look at, at 
in that direction. Of course, all of this changes once uh, Leo and Mio constellations come on board and give us truly global coverage. So we have uh, we have introduced a product called the U8 Go, which is a transportable case. Uh, we're about to introduce it. I guess it's a sneak peek, John. Um, and in that case, there's a pop-up mechanism that allows the antenna to pop up just slightly to get a better look angle at geostationary um, uh, satellites. Uh, it is a challenge in the in the polar region or even as high up as uh, Alaska uh, to see geostationary satellites. That's just the nature of uh, the physics of, of being able to, to see the satellite and the look angle from that. Uh, we really expect that to open up once uh, LEO and MEO capacity becomes available. Our technology is compatible with that. Uh, so there's there's it will work with whichever satellite uh, uh, one gets capacity on. The Chimeta Connect program that John just mentioned uh, leverages capacity at GEO. So we are facing some of those look angle challenges. Now, um, with respect to the addressable market, uh, mm-hmm. what's your what marketplace are you after to, to now that you've launched this? I mean, I know you said um, uh, defense, government, commercial, but is is defense at the top of your list for? Because I can see all sorts of <laughs> needs for something like this and and, and wants. Uh, are they at the top of your list? They, they are pretty close to the top of our list. I, I would tell you that. You know, emergency response workers, first response, second response uh, workers around the world and MOD and DOD government slash are right at the top of our list. And they are at the top of our list, not only because there's a genuine need for it, but they're at the top of our list because in many cases, um, these units, uh, whether they're, you know, first responders or military need to what we call arrive ready. And that arrive ready perspective from a comms on the move perspective becomes very, very important. It's very different than, you know, saying we're going to mount this on top of a building for a data center, right? Like you don't need a comms on the move solution to do that. But you do need a comms on the move solution, as an example, if you're talking about, let's say, the U.S. Forest Service in California, where they typically go into many areas where there is no cellular service at all and never was, and because of the recent fires, the towers are for radio are all knocked down, which means that those command centers now need to be as much as 20, 30 miles away sometimes from the actual fire by being able to mount a U-8 on top of a command vehicle and drive it right into fire central, so to speak. That gives them a very, very unique solution to be able to keep everybody safe, protect property, and, and keep their firefighters in constant contact with, with the command center. And secondary markets? Secondary markets are just as you described. So secondary markets are still, you know, is still going to be commercial. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about other things like nearshore maritime and things like that. But really, uh, the primary markets are still first responders and military. All right. Now, and then, of course, uh, like you said, oil and gas and, you know, other right. commercial markets, rail, things like that. And, yeah, and researchers. <laughs> Small market, though. Um, now, oh, pricing. I think I read in some of the marketing materials that a UA, U8 package starts at around just under $1,000. Is that right? Right. That's what I referred to earlier. So with Kymetic Connect, you can get a U8 your, and all your services for $9.99 a month. $9.99 a month. Now, I can see from a defense perspective that might not be 
overly expensive, but it isn't cheap. So what's what's the main factor in, in, in the pricing? Is it recovering the investment on the R&D? Is it because the antennas are, are expensive to make? And of course, satellite data, is that expensive? What's the, the dynamics here? It, so if I may address that, the, the there are several factors that that drive the price. One is the cost of the capacity. Uh, the other one is the cost of some key components. So the satellite modem, because we offer a turnkey solution, the modem isn't cheap. There's certain things that uh, that we can drive uh, down the price curve and certain things that are more of a challenge. Uh, getting bucks uh, at the right price, again, communicating to geo takes quite a bit of power. Those components are not cheap. And then there's the cost of the terminal itself uh, to go along with the cost of the capacity. We really see a shift happening in the industry where some of the components will go naturally go down in price. Some of the components will go in down in price as we drive up higher and higher volumes. When we look at the opportunities in the marketplace, um, they, they are game-changing for the satellite industry. Some of the opportunities that we're looking at in, in future markets, um, like... Um, like uh, civilian armored vehicles, like inner city buses, some of the things that we're looking at farther out, the numbers are pretty high and they're going to drive a different set of economics in the industry. So it is, I mean, we've even had um, an instance where we would ask for quotes for components from certain suppliers and they no bid it because they can't meet our volume requirements because they can't meet some of that demand. So as we mature some of the components um, that that we leverage that are SATCOM specific, the price will go down. Some of the thinking will go down. Uh, some of the volume will drive the price to go down and the sh- thinking in the industry will shift because what we're all trying to do is we're trying to make this technology accessible to everybody. So in order to do that, to your point, the price needs to come down. And, and we do see that happening year over year as our technology evolves, as our partners evolve their technology as well. Right. So if you take your previous four questions, Mark, and you think about how that all fits together and think about the market as, as a whole, really over the you know, the next 10 years for space satellite, for, for uh, terminals, we'll see more disruption and innovation than in the 30 years before that, right? At, at Cometa, we talk about this in kind of this generic term of what we call the perfect storm. Um, and it's a number of forces that are converging to create this basic disruption. Um, you know, there's, as Lila talked about, there'll be more constellations, there'll be more capacity, right? There'll be, it'll be less expensive. The satellites will be more powerful. Um, there'll be increased access to launch services. There'll be um, new frequencies and lower latencies, and you'll be able to use, reuse and on and on and on and on. And of course, the new ground terminal technology that we're talking about, which opens up a whole bunch of markets that were previously just basically untouchable. Again, like any, and since this is an economic podcast, like any economic model, right, as volume goes up, theoretically, costs should come down. Now, before I get on to some of the forward-looking stuff, um, I, I do have one question that's, that's sort of central to this. Um, the, I mean, we're talking about uh, new technology, phased array antennas. We're talking about, uh, you know, people telling me, describing it as magical. Um, you've obviously made some innovations here. But 
I'm curious as to what the rate of innovation is going forward with the technology that will drive down not just the cost of getting components, but uh, that will drive down the price of the actual terminal itself. Are are you seeing that there's going to be uh, innovations that are going to make it possible to really drive down that cost? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, There are many innovations that uh, happen naturally in all hardware development cycles. When you look at, say, smartphones, there are also innovations that shift uh, capabilities from hardware to software. So a good example of that is software-defined radios, which has been a a hot topic in the industry as well. So as we shift capabilities to software, the dependence on hardware will go down and the cost of that hardware will go down. Of course, some of that will shift to uh, services revenue as as companies look to add value uh, along the chain and in different places along the chain. But uh, I think there's there's innovation that's happening. Well, there's volume effects. There's innovations in the designs, which we are working on. We are continuously innovating and involving our design. And then there's that shift to software-based capabilities that will help uh, that uh, lower cost innovation that we're very much focused on. All right. Now I'm going to switch over to looking forward a little bit. Uh, and I'm sure some of my listeners are going to be listening very carefully on, on this stuff because we're going to talk a little bit about low Earth orbit and it's what it means going, uh, going forward with the marketplace. So in December, uh, and I'll start off with this, uh, South Korea's Hanwha Systems invested $30 million into your company. Uh, and I understand part of their reasoning was to be ready for low Earth orbit constellations coming online to be able to address that market. So can you tell us why this particular investment was attractive to you? Sure. Um, well, mostly Hanwha aims to support uh, Kaimeta's metamaterial um, technology and really, to, as you said, to gain a foothold um, in in the LEO market, uh, which we are very, very focused on. Um, it's rapidly growing. We know it's the future and we know, obviously, we need to be ready for that. Um, you know, with a capital investment, they will um, they will be in a good place to take advantage of not only their investment, but the technology that we will develop in in uh, across a lot of their verticals and with their customers. So it's a good it's a good partnership. All right. So uh, talking a little bit more about low, low Earth orbit, uh, because part of my audience is Canadian, uh, I've got to ask this question. I read that Kepler Communications um, did was one of your test partners. Correct. Um, how did that go? Go ahead, Malak. It went very well. They announced testing of uh, that they did uh, on the U7 platform, our first generation platform, and they got pretty incredible results with their test birds, with their satellites. Um, our engagement continues. We're unfortunately not quite yet ready to announce the next step, but uh, they have really demonstrated what our technology is able to do uh, pretty much with very minimal changes uh, in supporting LEO-based satellites. Because we have a software-defined antenna, uh, we can introduce things like different polarization. So geobirds typically operate in linear polarization. The Kepler system works in circular. We can introduce those software changes 
fairly quickly to make that compatible. And then they can do the test and demonstrates uh, some pretty incredible results. So that that engagement is continuing, but that that is precisely why um, those the, the, the upcoming LEO constellations are so exciting for us because our technology is inherently compatible with LEO and MEO satellites. Right. And as you probably know, Mark, I think it was last weekend, I think, right, that SpaceX launched, I think, 10 or 12 more uh, birds for Kepler. So eight. that's exciting for us. Yeah. yeah. Yes, they, they launched eight, and I know that they're launching several more this year. Yeah. Uh, now, how soon? I mean, uh, I'm just trying to yeah, – your market right now is very focused, um, but there is this consumer market that's out there. Is the consumer market of interest to you? I'll start off Absolutely. with that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think it goes back to something that Lilac said earlier in a question that you referred to. And, you know, Kymeta's goal eventually is to be able to democratize connectivity for everybody, right? So whether that's in the future for a connected car or whether that's some other, you know, on top of an air airstream or whatever, um, certainly the consumer market is important. But as you pointed out, it's not 40 bucks a month, right? So we want to make sure that we're when we're ready, when the market is ready, we're both in the same place in order to, to be able to launch it to more mainstream consumer market. That said, um, you know, I we live in the Seattle area. We have lots of uh, friends that have boats here. And when I explain this technology to people who have boats, their first question is, how quickly can I get one for my boat? So clearly the, the desire is there, the need is there, but there's still some work to be done, as Lilac pointed out, in terms of volume and getting the price down where it's really ready for the consumer market. That doesn't preclude a consumer from buying one if they were to choose to, as Lilac talked about, even civilian armored vehicles. I mean, those are that's a commercial market, but it's much more consumer focused than it is military or first responders. So we're working towards it, but we're not, it's not there yet. Yeah, the reason why I, I bring it up is because, um, uh, you know, there's so many opportunities in the Leo market uh, space, and I'm hearing a lot from our readers about how excited they are about those opportunities and what it means for them in terms of uh, access at their cottage. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, access on their boat, right? And then there's this whole market of RVers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I didn't know this. I, had to, I checked it up before we went online today, but uh, this is going back several years. But there's like a million people in the States who live in their RVs full time right. and, yeah. and are moving around. So and that's yeah. not even the people that are just moving around. And of course, I'm interested in that personally, uh, because, uh, you know, with my business, I'm a media company. And, I, you know, I made the decision 20 years ago that with my partners that we were going to work from home. But what part of the thing is that we like to travel around. Well, if I can take that kind of connectivity with me, right, and I can drive, you know, to a park or whatever and work from there and have that kind of connectivity, that's that 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 to me is is exciting. Um, which is why, and, and as we had discussed pre-interview, I'm going to be testing out. Uh, the SpaceX Starlink, because it's available at this point, at least to people who signed up for the beta, better than nothing. So right. with a name like that, and, you know, we know that there, and I've, you know, I've had people say, most of the people I've talked to have 
phrased it, but they do say, you know, obviously there are times where they're not getting any connectivity. But we'll see how that goes. And, of course, the, the dish itself is another issue. Um, but uh, I, and I know that SpaceX did testify here in Canada to the Canadian government uh, about the costs. Uh, and so they were adamant about we're going to keep the cost down and even bring them down further in terms of the actual dish. And t- we know that they're subsidizing the dish at this point for the beta mm-hmm. users. Right. Uh, and the price point for the actual service and the beta price is, is uh, $99, I think. Is that right? That's right. That's yeah, right. That's what I'm <laughs> Yes. So anyway, but I'm just, ex- you know, I, I don't really care who provides it, but I know there's a market there. And I get, this is one of the reasons why I think your technology is, is fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And don't forget what you just described also is a stationary solution, right? This is a comms on the move solution. Yes. Yours is a comm, but there are, you, you can still have connectivity when your RV is moving. <laughs> yeah. But you're so- right. And on a boat, it's be a little more challenging. Right. I, I, I think I just want to build on that. Te- technologically speaking, those are two completely different use cases. The, the direct to home, the stationary use case, uh, you can really drive down cost. If we were to work on that, we can make our system far, far cheaper. It's the mobility aspect that is not only a challenge, but is also an opportunity because that's the experience that people expect because that's what they're used to with their cellular devices. So there's the expectation that while you're driving the RV, your kids, if you had any in the in the in the back, are are on Instagram and and TikTok and whatever else they're streaming video, and they just expect that to be the case. So connectivity is expected everywhere, especially on platforms on the move. Um, and a lot of our customers today, when when your customers say or the folks you've talked to call it magic. That's the magic they're talking about. Whether they're on a boat on the water going 40, 50 knots doing donuts and not breaking the connection or on a tactical vehicle somewhere running around in all directions and it's just magically connected. That's the magic that we're focused on. And it's going to be it's it's not quite the same as the, as the stationary, but we're hoping we're dr- driving towards that from a cost perspective. Someday we'll get there. All right. So I got one last question. I don't know if you can answer this or not. Uh, you may take a pass, um, but uh, you've raised a substantial, fair bit amount of money so far. Uh, are there, and I, you'll forgive me if I haven't read this elsewhere. But are there plans to take the company public? That would be a hard pass. <laughs> okay. We're, we're a private company. We don't we don't talk about our financials. <laughs> You know that there was another company today, out of the blue, surprisingly, Astra. I'm not yeah. sure if you're familiar with them, Astra Launch, yeah. who have decided yeah. that they're going to do a uh, uh, a SPOC, a special uh, purpose acquisition company, to uh, to go public on Nasdaq. So, um, uh, which I find very interesting. Uh, but that's another conversation. Hey, okay, well, you know, I, I really want to thank you for being on the show and for providing uh, our uh, audience uh, an introduction to Kymeta and getting to some of the details of the technology and what it is you're offering and, and, and sort of what the, the future holds. Uh, uh, and as you move forward, hopefully uh, uh, we can uh, talk again in the future when, when you've got some news. Yeah, we'd like that. Thank you. 
Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Please use our Twitter channel, at The Economy Space, to contact us or send an email to podcast at spaceq.ca. If the podcast service or app you use offers the opportunity to rate this podcast, we would please ask that you do so. Your review will help others discover our podcast. Thank you.